and welcome to episode number 88 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson and Fairway J, where we break down all of the big bets, all of the big news, all of the comings and goings and happenings in this crazy gambling industry. We'll talk, if you're new to joining us, we'll talk sports betting, we'll talk DFS, we'll talk a little bit of poker here and there as well, anything you can gamble on, maybe even some horse racing, whatever it might be that you can gamble on. We will talk about here on the podcast, guys. We took a couple of weeks off with all the holidays. Here we are. We are ready to rock and roll for 2020 to catch people up here. Brett, how was your holidays? How was the New Year's? I know it was a crushing defeat for your bills. I actually told you in a, you know, offline, I said, hey, you know, I had some bets against them a couple of times, but I was like, hey, I'll gladly lose those bets for your joy. And honestly, I thought it was going to get there. I just can't imagine. I know you almost kind of laugh it off these days, but I just I, I, do, I really do feel sorry for Bills fans. There's no laughing that one off. That was as crushing a defeat as I've ever had. That was I've never had a wave of emotions watching a sporting event quite like that. That was the craziest game I've seen in a while. And to have to sit there through it as a Bills fan was, uh, I, oh, my God. I it just, you know, I, what, what can you say? That was an insane game. And uh, yeah, a, a tough way to end it up 16, nothing at halftime. And then just to have it all come crashing down because I feel like we got out coached by Bill O'Brien. Like how, how does that, how is it a thing that happens <laughs> in the NFL right now? And that was brutal. Yeah. I was uh, right there with you. Obviously my saints team goes down also due to a lot of very questionable coaching decisions, things that you could point your finger at in that bills Texans game. I told you before kickoff, I was fortunate enough. I was actually on both sides of the three needed a Texans field goal win to win both sides and actually got the Texans field goal win. So there was that, which made me feel, uh, feel pretty good there. Jay, how have, uh, the last couple of weeks treated you? How has bowl season been going in, uh, NFL playoffs? Bowl season has been tougher for me this year. It's disappointing for certain. Um, not quite on top, but, uh, Got got a few in here in the latter stages, but the NFL, I went pretty light, but did get the Vikings in and didn't bet them on the money line, had the total in that game over. So I missed on that. But uh, as well on Brett's comment about the Bills, you know, up 16, nothing, even in late into the third, that was looking good. I took the Bills in a teaser and uh, came out okay. And in fact, hit hit through on the teasers, um, teasing the Vikings all the way up, actually. So, but uh you know, saw, saw the underdogs and the road teams do well. And I think this week we're going to see now the real benefit of that extra bye week on some of these matchups, I believe. And we've we got a few lines, you know, now pushing double digits with the heavier favorites in the AFC. Yeah, we will definitely talk about the divisional round here for sure a little bit later in the show. But if you guys are plugged in at all into the gambling industry. And this is really, you don't even have to be someone that plays DFS or follows anything that has to do with daily fantasy sports to have caught on to this story. We saw TMZ pick it up. We've seen some of the other major outlets pick it up and mainly because it surrounds a couple of celebrities and a millionaire maker win here, Brett, man, we could spend the entire podcast on this. Like I said, before the show, we won't, but Let's start at the beginning because there are a lot of pieces to this and DraftKings is almost certainly combing through them as we speak because all of it appears to be circumstantial and there is a lot riding on this outcome. So DraftKings ran its flagship millionaire, millionaire maker contest during the first week of the playoffs. Uh, same contest as they usually run during the season, except far fewer games, four games, which means there are fewer permutations to accessing every possible lineup you can make. And just for context here, as far as monetary, whenever you get to that point, it was actually $5 more expensive this week. So it was was a 25 instead of a 20, just to, as you kind of get, as people are starting to kind of formulate in their head as to how much this kind of costs and everything to go down. Right. Okay. Yeah. $25. Uh, The winner of the contest turns out to be a player by the name of Jade Roper. And within minutes, Thanks to a tweet by Alex Baker, a well-known DFS pro, we discover that it is a former contestant on the popular show The Bachelor who is behind this winning account. Uh, She then confirms it on Twitter, and congratulations are being sent her way from all over the industry. But it didn't take long for the DFS Twitter sleuths to step in, and this is what they live for, right? Like a celebrity who apparently has 
Zero interest in sports, as evidenced by her social media accounts, which they were combing through. Uh, Max enters the billionaire maker, 150 lineups at $25 a pop. And then we discover that her husband, Trent, did as well. And we also learn that he is a high-volume DFS player. And, and apparently sudden, it was also on Bachelor Two or something. One of one yeah, of one yeah, of the something. seasons or something along those. So if you're yeah, if you're like if you're a fan of the show or you're watching, it's uh, his name is Tanner Tolbert. So that's uh, Tanner. I yes, yes. Right, Tanner. So Tanner Tolbert. So maybe you maybe you're familiar with you know the show or something. And yeah, he was he was on one of them again, I guess. So especially, I mean. All of a sudden, this this doesn't smell good, especially when both of their lineup constructions are, are posted on Twitter, which show that one of the accounts only used three quarterbacks and the other account only used three quarterbacks and none of them overlapped. And for those who, who play DFS, that looks fishy. And it looks like somebody lazily spread all of their exposure to players across these two accounts. And then things start getting a little crazier. We see one of uh, Tanner's close friends congratulate him for winning this contest instead of her. <laughs> and then those tweets are deleted and people are digging through her social media accounts and finding her complaining about how she hates fantasy football and how much her husband plays. All of the pieces are coming together to show that at the very least, there's evidence of possible collusion here. And the accusations are that Tanner built all 300 lineups across these two accounts to circumvent the entry limit for the contest per DraftKings terms of service. So he allegedly cheated using his famous wife's DraftKings account. And this creates a glorious headline for media outlets of all kinds to publish, which of course they did. Like you said, from TMZ to CNN, Washington Post ran a story. And meanwhile, all of this leaves DraftKings in a really, really bad spot because this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, three years ago, after they implemented these collusion and entry limit rules, uh, two brothers, Tom and Martin Crowley, were accused of the same thing, basically colluding to circumvent these limit rules. They were cleared of these collusion charges by DraftKings. Now DraftKings has a sort of similar case I guess very different in, in some ways and that there might be a little more evidence of it this time around. And we are sitting here on Tuesday awaiting a decision on whether Jade is going to keep her money or they will have it taken away as DraftKings is currently investiga investigating all of this. It is an absolutely insane story uh, and there's a lot to unpack. There will be attorneys involved, yes? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, we can definitely, definitely go there. Of course, uh, we, ha we have a write-up over on the lines.com. Our sister site over at Legal Sports Report has an article as well, so be sure and, and go over there if you want to take a look at these. So, Brett, here's the interesting thing in this, and you said a lot of this is circumstantial, and that's kind of where I got misunderstood, and uh, <laughs> I had an interesting little, uh, had an interesting evening two nights ago, the first time I've gotten into the, uh, into a Twitter battle in uh, years and years. I actually have prided myself on not getting in Twitter battles at all, <laughs> and uh, found myself up until one o'clock in the morning, kind of going at it with, with people on Twitter here, and Basically, what I did, and I think it got, and I can see how it could have gotten mis, misunderstood the way that I kind of went about it. And, you know, in retrospect, Twitter, you get misunderstood all the time. You only have a certain amount of characters, and it is what it is. But so Dustin was talking about the Dustin Galker, if you listen to the LSR pod of ours, was, you know, put up a thing in the story that he wrote about the deal. And I just said, like, well, prove it to me, right? And, and like, I was like, you have to, I was like, all these accusations and stuff are fine and all, but. I need you to prove it to me. And basically what I was saying with that was, how do you prove it? Right. I mean, that's that's basically where I was where I was going with this. And people were people took it that I was like taking up for these people, which was not the case at all. I was saying what a difficult endeavor this is going to be to actually prove this because it's not like it, we're talking about a married couple here. So it's not like, oh, well, let's go check the IP records. And well, I mean, they live together. Of course, they're going to be on the same IP address, you know, and like, oh, well, let's go check, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, a secondary thing could be like, oh, well, let's check uh, their, you know, if they used an optimizer. Well, you know, you and I talked about this offline, but I think it's worth talking about on the podcast was, 
you know, I mean, my wife doesn't play. You said your wife dabbles every now and then. If you were using a premium service to make, you know, 150 lineups or whatever it might be, and if she ever wanted to do that herself, you're not going to pay for two separate accounts for that. I mean, you're going to, y'all would just use the same optimizer account. So I can't imagine that that would be any sort of smoking gun either. Right. I mean, like you're not going to pay, you're not going to pay fantasy cruncher twice. Right. (laughs) I mean, like that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and she could just tell him who like he could build the lineups for her. She could feed him lineups and he could if he builds them faster, they could do it that way. There's like you said, how do you prove that there is collusion here? Like we're, we're staring at things that give are us an obvious. idea that it happened. Right, right. Yes, they are obvious. But like a, you, how do you prove it and just strip these people of a million dollars, strip her Sorry, of a million dollars. Right. So, so Jay, you 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 don't play a lot of DFS, and you said that you have been kind of following along. So, I'm actually curious on on your take before I even go go, go a little bit further into this, because as someone who obviously found this out through, I assume Twitter and and all of the buzz that was going on, how do you interpret the situation, and how are you kind of viewing this as we've you know I guess we're two days deep into this and have moved kind of a little bit forward here. Yeah, no DFS in Nevada or Arizona where I would be able to play. And, and the comment, my initial comment was, and this this has nothing to do with her fe- being female or the, the, the relationship in any way, but the fact that there's 300 entries um, and the when I saw the quarterback situations not matching up, there's to me there's no doubt that he is heavily involved on all those entries. And whether they were submitted on her account or not, it just seems as if um, they're – you use the word collusion. It, it just seems that he's stacking. She's admitted that she's not a, um, an avid player and she's relatively new to it. So he's got – and he's heavily involved in it. So he's definitely involved in um, assisting in the process here. And then to not have the, the quarterback's matchup seems like, okay, he's – definitely violated to me the terms of the service which says 150 entries max now you can say well it's on her account and it's not that's not involved but i think to me if i was a fantasy player um and and a regular you're you're disadvantaged you're, you're disadvantaged already because of so many people that can put in more um uh entries than than most would and financially situation the financially or, or not so to me, you're hurting the opportunity for more players to get involved, knowing that if they don't um, or if they were to pay this out, they're saying that this is going to continue on and people are going to have the opportunity to have this many entries. And it's a disadvantage for the the more common player to get in and have a chance to win. And I, most people clearly know that when they get involved and in that a majority of the winners are on their um, and have more entries and have the ability to do that. But to me, it looks like he's certainly involved in all 300 of the decisions here and the lineups and whether you can prove that or not, I guess with collisions, another matter. But I think drafting is going to have to answer either way if they pay it out and there's going to be attorneys involved. Certainly if they don't pay it out, uh, this couple, I would think would get the attorneys involved because if they have the, they have the precedent set in the past where they did pay it out in this case. Yeah. So our friend David Purdom over at ESPN did get in touch with them and the quote that he got from them, it is incredibly important for us to establish that Jade's win is nothing more than pure luck. We are confident that DraftKings will determine the same. They continued on with, we each put in our separate players in our separate accounts and rooted for our own players. No one has ever said a peep about us when we lost for 17 straight weeks. Then, of course, somehow Jade picked the right lineup, got the million, and the spotlight got shown on it. And people, especially since she's a woman, assume that I do it all for her. If I had won, I bet no one would have raised a red flag. Now, Brett, I think one of the things that, you know, it keeps getting thrown around, but I think we, you and I, someone who's certainly been around this a long time and knows the in and outs of the deals, this does not seem at all like collusion to me, like you were talking about with the Chipotle brothers or even back in the day with Condia and Lucror or anything like that. This seems just like somebody skirting entry limits. This does not seem like a collusion case as more as just seems like somebody who's decided, who's figured out a way through kind of loopholes because technically it is 150 entries per account per contest and so by the letter of the law if he's putting it in under her i mean you know again 
so incredibly hard to prove that it's him actually doing it here. Us being, you know, of sound mind with this, it seems obvious to us what's going on here. I don't think this is collusion at all. I just think this is a skirting of entry limits. 100%. I agree. But what they said there in that statement is important about not being flagged the first 17 weeks. They have a point. Why wasn't this flagged if they were already breaking the terms of service? And that's on DraftKings. DraftKings should have tightened these terms of services years ago. And now this is a critical moment for their business. Uh, they're in a, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what is going on in, the, in those offices right now. This is a really, really bad spot for them. Yeah. Because- is this a, has this been a common theme? I, again, I wouldn't have seen or, or known this, but are they putting in max entries week after week? Is that what's happened? In so the, the millionaire maker, they fired all 17 weeks of the season, both, both max entered. So and and we're and we're massive losers, actually, in that. But again, that just lets you know the bankroll that it takes to do these type of things. And and Brett, frankly, probably why it's never been brought up to now is like, hey, if there's 300 dead entries in a contest, like, hey, let's let's let people throw in 300 dead dead entries into a contest. But that's neither here nor there. It's still (laughs) like, you know, rules are rules in terms of services there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Jay, Jay mentioned the, the average casual player, and that that's the biggest thing for me. If you go on fantasy message boards and look through like DFS social media accounts and look through the comments, you see droves of people talking about insider trading and pros winning all the money and cheating, et cetera, et cetera. It's every day. Casual players are clinging on to these old stories of cheating and disadvantage and there's no DFS without casual players. The industry just right. dies. So to me, this is more about optics and, and the reputation and trust of DraftKings with the everyday fantasy player because this story is everywhere now. And if Jade walks away with this money, I feel like this is another huge blow to the health of, of you know the, the long-term for, you know, the long-term industry. It, right. It's going to have a long-term negative impact. This is... This is a no win for DraftKings. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, this is a really bad spot. I did want to I did want to at least, you know, point the one thing out because I do believe that it is worth pointing out the differences cuz to me and maybe maybe it's maybe it's not the same to you, Brett, but to me, collusion is a much more egregious offense to me than entry limit skirting because like collusion back in the day, especially before they tightened up on things like, you know, two guys would enter every single three man and you would be playing two against one. And it was like, you know, they were clearly working in teams, clearly sharing same, you know, the same lineups and and strategies and things like that. And that to me, I mean, hell, maybe it's just because I came up through the internet poker streets where I found out way later at like, there were certain times where I was playing at a at a sit and go and there were three of the nine seats at the sit and go were all playing against me, you know? So it's like, I guess I'm a little bit, you know, more into like the, that type of collusion bothers me a whole lot more than like skirting of entry limits. But, you know, I I think that there is a, I think there is, you know, levels of kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, scumminess or something. And that type of collusion, as opposed to skirting entry limits, I think is much more egregious because again, 300 entries into a 105,000 entry contest doesn't guarantee you anything. But when you've got three seats at a nine seat, you know, sit and go or in DFS, you know, terms, if you're have, if you have two of the three seats in a three man, that is a huge, huge, huge advantage. Yeah. Very different there. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I fully agree. But at the same time, she obviously knew that this was happening, so you could you could still call it collusion in that she has she has an account. She knows it's happening, but yeah, like it is it is different than what the the Crowley brothers were doing. But they did uh, they did get away with with that. Both those guys, millionaire maker winners, by the way, and and got got to keep their winnings. So I I'm very curious to see what happens uh, with this one. Yeah, I um I honestly have no. I honestly have no idea how this is going to go because I don't know how deep, you know, the data runs. I don't know how, you know, how many dots DraftKings would be able to connect to come to a conclusion. Because here's the thing about this, and we'll we'll move on in, you know, just a second here. But the thing about this is I think it in Jay you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier that there will be lawyers, I think, one way or, an, or one way or another. But 
I find it very hard for DraftKings to be able to withhold a million dollars here just off of circumstantial evidence. I would I would assume that they would need, you know, a fairly heavy kind of smoking gun here in order to be able to hold a million dollars from these people. It would seem so. I keep going back to the viol. You know, it, I guess from the letter of the law, they didn't violate the terms of service. If you if they've got 150 entries under one account and 150 on the other, and perhaps it's going to be difficult to prove, but the dots line up. Right. <laughs> you know, the quarterback yeah. situation, and they know each other, and they've only got a few overlapping. Um, entries that seems to be everyone in the industry and certainly majority in the contest would understand that that that's uh that just doesn't line up at all and makes sense so i don't know if they if they withhold the funds i certainly think there's going to be attorneys uh representing the two of the contestants that are allegedly one and if they don't then i think you've got like you said the casual fans going to be skeptical moving forward and that's damaging to DraftKings. i think one way or the other Imagine being the person who finished second in this contest right now. You get you get two million dollars sweats for the price of one. Like you got you got the first one during the contest, and now you're sitting here <laughs> waiting to see what they do because they. I mean, they would get bumped up in the first place. They would have to be right. Uh, you would think. I, I can't imagine a scenario in which, you know, in which they wouldn't if they were gonna if they were gonna withhold the if they were not gonna pay out one, then you have to would just slide up everyone one spot. Yeah. You would have to assume so. I just, um, I don't I don't see it happening. I don't I think I think they're gonna they're gonna keep this the way it is. I, right I, now. I think that they're gonna keep the money too. I just don't know. Again, I don't know how maybe sloppy they were in doing this. If they were in fact, you know, again, we all think that they were, but if, if they were in fact doing this, I don't know how sloppy they were in doing it. But unless it it again. You live together. You're on the same IP address. You're not going to have separate accounts for any optimizers. You're not going to have whatever. So, like, I don't know exactly other than them fully admitting that they did it. I just don't know how you can say without a shadow of a doubt if you're the company. Right. I mean, like, again, all arrows point there. All the information certainly says, hey, this is this is fishy as hell, if not outright, you know, egregiously cheating. But I just don't know how you 100 percent say, yeah, you did it. We're going to keep your million bucks. So you guys, if you have again uh, at the lines, US at play picks, US, I'm at Matt. I'm at Matt Brown, M2 at Brett Colson at Fairway J. If you guys have, you know, some of you are certainly probably more computer savvy than we are. So if there's if there is some sort of way that you think a smoking gun could come out of this, I would certainly love to uh, to hear it. But it uh, I, I thought about it long, long, long and hard and seems to me that it would be pretty difficult to prove one way or the other. On now to the XFL, and I wanted to throw this in here real quick, guys, just because one of the one of the things that I saw with the, in the XFL rules that's pretty interesting. Of course, there are going to be bets taken on the XFL. There's no doubt about that. The XFL also came out, and they have partnered and have a you know a betting contingency now within the the organization. So they the the uh, Sport Genius, I guess it was that they partnered with Bet Genius to to make sure that they are are you know on top of everything here but one of the more interesting things i saw from the XFL and i'm assuming they're going to have to kind of uh you know go out and 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 let everybody know how this is going to play out here because the overtime rules are fairly interesting to me so they're going to do like a shootout style overtime, like as if it was in the NHL. So each team gets five one play possessions from the five yard line. And that is how they will go about determining the winner of the game. And Brett, the reason I brought this up and I found this kind of interesting is you know, people are going to be betting totals in these games. And so if this is a shootout style overtime, and of course we've seen college games get completely out of hand in overtime because we know how that overtime rule goes. But in the XFL, if a guy, if in this shootout, every time you score, does that add to your score? Or is this going to be like in hockey where it's just like at the end, you know, that's how the, the, the game is decided. I think it's fairly interesting whenever you kind of really look into how the overtime rule is going to play out. Yeah, it is interesting. You're going to see with, you're going to see games with tighter spreads have higher totals because the the higher likelihood of them going to overtime and then like all the how do you how do you 
cap for that kind of thing. That is that is that is super interesting. And and um, they're going to allow a three point extra point from the 10 yard line. So you can do a one point play from the two, a two point play from the three or a three point play from the 10. So again, all kinds of handicapping stuff. And Jay, I, you know, I, the first season we're going to have no data. So we're literally just going to be trying to figure this out on the fly. But like how often are teams going for one? How often are they going for two? How often are they going for three? Like all of this is going to be fairly, fairly interesting and, and certainly shift as to like what a key number is in the XFL even. I was definitely thinking about that with regards to totals. I, w- I was just clicking on something here. My my Google Chrome is out, and I'm afraid to shut it down because <laughs> I thought I might lose you guys here. But I had clicked. I'd seen a tweet earlier about some of the scoring and some of that, and then it was trying to click on this article to update on some of the the, the other rules. So I can't comment further on uh, some of the other changes that I had read because I don't have it right in front of me in handy. But I had uh, been briefed on it a little bit. But I think with regards to the scoring, that's going to be interesting, especially the three point play with from the ten. I know that is going to be there. really crazy. And and another thing that I think I like as well is just you know a lot of this stuff is is brought forth to try to make the game either one more interesting or two just move it along faster you can have two forward passes on a single play so long as they they never they don't cross the line of scrimmage which i think is pretty awesome and then uh there's also only one foot in bounds like in the college rules instead of two it's much easier to tell if one foot is down than if two feet are down and it just moves the less, less reviews, less all of that. And, and I honestly think the XFL, listen, this could fall flat on its face. And we, you know, we talked about this on the pod when they first announced that this was even going to be a league, but from everything I've seen so far, Brett, I think that this is, you know, look, it's something I'm certainly going to tune in and watch. I like what they're doing. I dig what they're doing. And I think that the focus on faster play and keeping the games moving and less reviews and stuff is probably the right way to go here. Yeah. And there were a lot of things about the AAF that I liked. They sped up the game. They had access to like coaching uh, the, the offensive coordinator and what was going on in there. I'm open to new ideas with all of all of these rules, the overtime especially, because what we have in the NFL right now is not it's just still not ideal. And as far as the XFL goes, we will be covering it. The lines. We actually got an interview with Bob Stoops last week to talk about the league and the betting aspect of it. I wish we had talked to him after these new rules. (laughs) Maybe maybe we can get him back because that would be super interesting to ask him about that. And a guy who coached college football for so long to to have all of these new rules is, is pretty interesting. But um. Yeah, I'm excited to see what this looks like. Yeah, and, and yeah, totals, uh, spreads, everything, Jay, should be interesting. Without me being able to access this again, I wanted to ask. I, I've always thought and I, I'd considered writing up and uh, bringing up the debate again about the NFL and how to how to increase scoring. And I had always thought that I thought a simple way to increase the scoring in the NFL was to just go to a college rule of one foot in yes. bounds on a reception. And I thought – uh, I didn't see uh, that in the XFL rule if that was the case, and I presumed maybe it was with the scoring. But I, I, I always was curious that, you know, they come up with these defensive backs and the hand checking and all of that. And I thought the easiest way to increase scoring to me was make it a one foot. And, and I've always said, you know, you catch the ball and you are getting a foot down. You're in bounds. You, know, they, you, got, you got these things. You get to the pylon and you just touch the pylon and it's a touchdown. So I've always thought uh, that that's an interesting way to uh, assist the NFL in their scoring. Agreed. If the NFL moved to that, it would be exponentially better. It's like you mentioned, I mean, like the, the, the tip of the ball only has to touch the goal line and that's a touchdown. So you don't even have to enter the end zone for it to be a touchdown. Yet you can catch a ball on the field, get a foot down inbounds and somehow you didn't catch the ball. Like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, that that's that that is the actual case, but yeah, I really do like all these and I'm glad that we will be having a ton of coverage on the XFL over at the lines and certainly we will be talking about it on this podcast as well because it's going to be interesting and again another way to bet on football after the NFL and college seasons are over speaking of the college season being over Brett here we are it is the college football national championship time by the time we have another podcast it will have already gone down next Monday in New Orleans LSU and Clemson I will be in attendance. I will oh, be. Baby. I, will, I will be in attendance following my uh, my Tigers down there. The, the good kind, the LSU version uh-huh. of the Tigers, not uh, not the Clemson version of the Tigers. So, I will be in the stadium here. This has been a 
this has been a game that is, uh, you know, lots of opinions on how people feel like that this game could go. I think a lot of people feel like maybe this number where we sit right now and now currently we are looking at five and a half. This did open at six and a half at DraftKings. It almost instantly moved to five and a half, then got bumped back down to six. And we currently sit at five and a half at DraftKings. Total opened up at 69 and a half, just one half point off right now where we sit, which is a total of 69. But uh, very interesting, Brad, and certainly something that I imagine we will see some line movement here as we get closer to the game. We're still a week away, and you know, a lot of casual bettors aren't betting games a week in advance. They're betting basically the day of. So uh, total will move, line will move. I imagine we see all kinds of stuff get going here. Yeah, and it's a tricky handicap because you've got a team that has been tested all season in the SEC uh, and just blown through those opponents against a team that really hasn't in a super soft conference, but has been in this game so many times and did just knock off Ohio state in a wild semifinal game. So this is a really tough one. I don't really know how good each either of these teams is. So it's, it's a fascinating matchup. Um, I, you know, if, if, where do you where do you see where do you see this closing? I, I'm trying to decide where the public money is going to come in. I feel like just because of how dominant LSU has been, it's going to creep back up closer to seven. Well, and Jay, I'm I'm curious as to what you think here as well because so here's here's where I'm wondering how if this line could start to kind of get wacky in different places, right? Because as we know, there are legal sports books in Mississippi. And as we know, that is right next door to Louisiana. And even there are a ton of LSU fans, even in Mississippi as it is. And then there's the whole there, you know, everybody, the sec, you know, as a conference bands together, every bowl season, it's like sec above everybody else. So you kind of put your allegiances aside and you root for the, you root for the actual conference. I'm wondering if we end up seeing a like a different line on LSU in Mississippi than we even see over on the East Coast, where you would imagine there's not going to be any sort of bias between LSU and Clemson, and it'll just be people betting on who they think is going to win. That is interesting thought, and I think at some point somewhere we're going to see a six on this. Uh, I think the favorite will take a little bit more money, and I again back to. Yeah, we want to have a bet on the big game, perhaps, but maybe there's I think there's going to be some prop bets that might be more favorable. I this is a tough one to me. Last year, I had a pretty strong position on Clemson in the championship game, taking the six. I can't make the same argument here, although I will tell you that I often look for the statistical profiles that Clemson has. And I'll tell you why I'm not as high on it here in a moment. But the stat profiles show them. 525 per game on offense, but it's balanced. It's it's roughly 230 rushing and 290 passing, and it's um, it's not as explosive obviously in the passing game as LSU, but LSU rushes for about 170. So their their offensive profile from a balance standpoint is there. And then when you have the defensive strength of Clemson, that's what made me really high on them last year against Alabama because I didn't think Alabama's defense was quite as strong a year ago. And similarly, they had the, the stronger passing attack like LSU. So I want to make the case more for Clemson. However, strength the schedule and you go through how LSU has beaten up on Georgia and beaten Alabama and, you know, put up 46 on them on the road. And there's, you know, 42 against Florida. You go through their schedule and how uh, the, the strength of that and that has to weigh heavily, I think, in their favor um, because we've seen Clemson have the one hiccup. But. Uh, coming back when you've got a team that's won, what is it now? Is it 30 in a row? They, they've won 30, 29 in a row. They've, they've won that many and they've done it impressively, um, albeit against all comers, not quite the strength of schedule that we're seeing LSU. It's it's tough. I think the line is where it should be. I think it will hit six though in a number of places by kickoff. So one of the things that I thought was fairly interesting here, Brett, as we dig in a little bit further to this game, you can click on the player props and Joe Burrow's passing prop is currently sitting at 375 wow. and a half yards. 375 and a half. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I understand he's been good, but holy mackerel, 375 and a half. And then you go down and you see that Clyde Edwards Alaire's rushing prop is at 105 and a half. Joe Burrow's rushing prop is at 31. 
So that alone would be 500 yards of offense for for LSU just in props right there. And we know Edwards Alaire isn't going to get every single touch for LSU. So there's a couple of other backs that are going to sprinkle in as well. So if you just add these prop numbers up, DraftKings is basically saying that the the average the, the more times than not, the average for LSU in these games is going to be. 500 plus yards of offense against a Clemson defense that I still think is really, really good. It just is is baffling to me. It is really good. I'm looking at these these Clemson props here. Lawrence, 300, ATN, 100. So they're basically saying that LSU is going to outgain Clemson by over 100 yards. How, how, what? What? <laughs> It's that, yeah. this is yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I'm going to certainly dig into these props a little bit more here because I mean, I think you almost just blindly bet the under on yeah. Burrow at 375 uh, just just at that total. I mean, Jay, I understand how good this LSU pass defense has been, but we're talking a a 24 yards short of a 400 yard passing day in the national championship game against one of the better defenses in the country. Let me tell you, I think it was just a few weeks ago before Ohio State and Clemson set, played. Both those offenses late in the season were allowing under 250, maybe 240 yards per game, and they they were on they were on pace to be a record in the last decade plus, and that's including the Alabama teams that were so strong. Right now, Clemson is still uh, 3.9 yards per play, ties Ohio State is best in the country, Now, and this is after they've not played each other, 264 yards per game is second to Ohio State, and then you saw how those two played out, um, and Clemson was able to ultimately move the ball some, but I agree, this is this is a trem- this is not, they, to, to think that the defense is this good for Clemson when they lost that many strong players up front to the NFL, uh, shows that defensive coordinator is doing an outstanding job again and the talent they have there. So my look initially on those props that you ran by, including Burroughs, would be with this kind of prep time is the you, I think you'll got to look under on a number of these. This <laughs> I mean, is a really, right? really good defense. I mean, this is one of the best, you know, uh, this has got to be a top five defense over the last decade, at least statistically. Now you go into, okay, who have they played? And you can argue again, you know, the, in the SEC, you've got a number of defenses and that are facing stronger opposition throughout the uh, course of a season that Clemson doesn't, but it's still, it's an outstanding defense that Clemson has. No question. It is, uh, it is incredibly interesting. I think we'll, uh, We'll, we'll certainly, uh, you know, Brett, I mean, I, I'll maybe you and I'll hop on a on a video before I before I head out and we'll just kind of run through some of these after I have a chance to dig in to more of these props here, because some of these numbers are just astronomical. I mean, they have two different LSU receivers at over 104 yards receiving prop. I mean, like Justin Jefferson's at 104 and Jamar Chase is at 110. I mean, like, I understand, again, they've been great and this offense has been amazing, but two different guys with well over 100 yards receiving prop. It is just insanity. Yeah, and then you got the tight end at over 53. You got Marshall at 64. Where are these yards coming from? This is wild. This is crazy. So we'll, we'll and, then, and then the other the is the momentum. You know that time off, yeah, between the bowl game and their first game, and clearly LSU was tremendous in their first uh, semifinal game, and the offense was clicking. But then you, now you have another week off, and like I said, I think the preparation with the defense. But they're expecting a lot of scoring. You see the number and the high, the high total again. But uh, with with these kind of defenses in a big game, I my tendency would certainly be to look uh, under more of those props that you mentioned. Now off to the NFL wild card real quick. Just a quick look back here. I had an amazing Saturday, got destroyed on, well, it, my original bets would have been destroyed on Sunday. I think this is the time to plug yet again, if you are new to listening to this podcast about how important in-game wagering is. I had so much money rolled into uh, teasers on the Saints. And when I saw how that game was going and I saw how things were playing out, I just started buying off of that and laying off of that so incredibly hard. And uh, that just, you know, really saved me thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, still ended up about 
twelve hundred down on the day, but for what could it what it could have been was I mean could have been just absolutely disastrous for me. So, you know, being able to take the Vikings in game at uh, you know on several different occasions, second half at plus six, where I still had like you know some outs to win both bets and stuff. So, um, just taking you know taking all that in consideration is certainly something I think we should continue to preach here. Is if you're you know if you're betting for any sort of significant money. Paying attention to these in-game lines is certainly a way that you can, one, not only profit more or just save your ass from absolutely getting destroyed here. But, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit at the top, Brad, but, I mean, biggest takeaway for me, I think, was just the fact that it wasn't even necessarily that I was all that impressed with the Titans, to be perfectly honest, just that it really is the falling off of of the Patriots there. I mean, yeah, Derrick Henry was incredibly impressive, but outside of that, I mean, they still only scored 14 points. I'm not counting the pick six with five seconds. Left. I mean, they still only scored 14 points in the game. They were not able to get in the end zone very often. Ryan Tannehill threw for under 100 yards in the game. It really, to me, just looked the, the lack of of any sort of offense for the Patriots is really was their undoing. Yeah, I fell into the trap one last time because I believed in Belichick at home, even with that putrid roster. And it really is a bottom 10, maybe even bottom five roster. He has nothing to work with. Uh, And yeah, like you said, I think it's safe to say the dynasty, we know it is over. That was the end. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this team in the offseason with with Brady. Rumors of him going to the Chargers. I don't don't think that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I. You know, in in the way people have bet the Patriots for so long, they've just come through against the spread year after year. I'm really curious to see how the market adjusts next year, because this looks like it's over, right? They just fell apart at the end of the season. Yeah, I and, you know, of course, will Belichick be back? Will Brady be back? What's going on with, with the whole team? I mean, so many questions. Jay, what was your biggest takeaway real quick from the wild card round before we move into the divisional side of things? I'll comment on the wild card in just a second. And I wanted to make, remember through the season when the Patriots were eight, no, we just, the, the media and we, you know, how good are the Patriots? We thought we were crowning them champions again. And it just goes to show again, you saw the, the market change with the dolphins. We thought was one of the worst teams and they ultimately went five games and cover the spread. The Patriots were eight. No, they're, you know, they're below two to one to win the Super Bowl in the market. And you see how things can change and you have to understand that when you're dealing with the NFL and not necessarily the parity, but how, you know, schedule matters, who you play, when you play. The injuries are so impactful when you start talking about the futures market. So that that leads us kind of into, again, the wild card with some of the futures. I've been high on the Vikings saying that I think uh, there there was some value on them through the season. And yet I was playing them 20 to 1, 18 to 1, and then come the playoffs, you know, they're 50 to 1. You know, and it, it shows again, even before the season, when you start looking at these teams. I mean, here the Vikings were well below 51 before the season. And now they're in the playoffs and they're that high. So you see how the the markets change and some of that can be liability on the sports book. But what I took away is kind of what Brett said and when both of you said, I, I actually made, I, I was right on the Titans. I had them covering. I made, I, I wrote this up at play picks and thought they should certainly win and made a, made a position for that. But I ended up playing first half under 21 and a half thinking there'd be left scoring. And it turned out just the opposite. There was a little more scoring the first half. They didn't score in the second half until that pick six um, stayed 14, 13, but the Titans still had just 272 yards of offense 4.8 yards per play which is below average but it was also still on the road in Foxborough against the top top defense so I give them some credit but I think as I look ahead to this week's game we saw uh, I think all the games went under, if I'm not mistaken, in the wild card round under the total. But I think the Titans game is going to be a high scoring game this week and that the Ravens are fresh and ready. They're going to move the ball. The Titans are going to stick to their game plan uh, of, of running the ball and maybe in a position if they fall behind to, to have to pass a little bit more. So I thought the Titans games and as a team latter part of the season, they were an over team. Um, there was a game against Houston where it didn't quite get there. I think you and I talked about that or, or we were both high on that one. The first time they played in week 15 I think it was and it, it, it blew up in the second half where they had scoring but didn't quite get there for the game and I think this is good this is the one game that's going to have scoring I think the total is 48 I can make the argument and, and case and, and reason why both the Ravens and the Chiefs are favored but uh, my, my initial thought on that Titans game is they're not going to be quite as effective against Baltimore but they're going to I think have more yards than they did against the Patriots and I think the Ravens are going to move it enough to uh, see a pretty high scoring game there. So let's go ahead and get into the 
divisional round here. Start with the early game on Saturday, Vikings and the 49ers. We saw this game. We've seen the the line actually be on the move here and, you know, not not shocking, I don't think, whenever you consider this thing opened at six and a half, now sitting at seven. You look at this, you know, not very often we see a team move into the divisional round and then the spread actually go in the opposite direction. But that's what we have going on here with the uh, with the Vikings. Actually, you know, they they were seven and went off about, you know, by the game time. It was seven. But for the majority of the week, it sat at eight and seven and a half. And so here they are sitting at seven already here in the divisional round. Brett, this is, you know, Vikings back-to-back road games here going over to San Francisco to face a 49ers team that is coming off of the bye. How do you take a, you know, how do you view this game? How do you look at this game? And do you think that the Vikings catching a touchdown is something that you would look at against a fresh and rested 49ers team? Well, this is my strongest position of the week. This was the most surprising opener to me, and I will certainly have money on this game. Minnesota off the upset uh, over New Orleans, plus seven. Even like you said, even got as low as or opened as low as six and a half. Heading to San Francisco, I had San Francisco rated not a lot higher, but significantly higher than New Orleans. So a touchdown feels low to me after New Orleans was seven and a half or eight last week, and I feel like that was higher than it should have been. But Minnesota was able to exploit a beat down defensive line for the Saints last week on the turf and now facing the most talented defensive front in the NFL. I don't know how Minnesota is going to contain these guys in this pass rush. And this is a very good Vikings defensive front too, but the most overrated secondary in the NFL. So I I see the 49ers having success through the air and also with that creative zone running scheme. I love the Niners here. I think this is the best team in the NFC by quite a bit. And um, I'm definitely going to have this one in my account. Yep. When this one hit at six and a half, it was immediately put into my account. Glad to see it moved to seven that I was able to you know, get the best number. I didn't know if money was going to start coming in on uh, the Vikings or not. Jay, we saw this Vikings team go into New Orleans, win in the Superdome. Now, Sean Payton is catching a lot of heat, and rightfully so. Made some absolutely horrible decisions in that game. Horrible play calling. Pretty much his worst game as a Saints fan myself. Pretty much the worst game I've ever seen him coach was just absolutely all over the place. Did not seem to have it at all. Uh, The Vikings do come out with that overtime win. Doesn't really matter whether you think it was offensive pass interference or not. That is beside the point. They get the win. They move on here. Kirk Cousins was, you know, listen, when he had to make the throw, he made the throw. Dalvin Cook was good, found some success against the Saints rush team that he still didn't get to 100 yards. Saints have still not, you know, did not allow a 100 yard rusher all season long, but uh, certainly found success early here. Do you think that Dalvin Cook is able to find success against this San Francisco team that's also really stout against the run? Or do you think that their luck is going to run out here? Uh Teaser. <laughs> right. This is the week where I'm back on. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough game here for the Vikings. No question. The added rest, the benefit of the buy, the San Francisco profile and the stats offensively. They run. Uh, I, I will look at the two matchups here. This is one of them where you have the top two rushing teams in terms of number of attempts per game are the are the 49ers and the Vikings in the NFC just behind the Ravens in the AFC. And ironically, the Ravens play Tennessee, who has the second most in the AFC as far as rushing attempts. So you look at how they run the ball, their percentage of plays, both the 49ers and Vikings run percentage is 49%. So they're going to stick to that. And I think the Niners, I would expect them to have a little more success doing that, which can open up a more balance and a play action. But uh, Vikings uh, won't certainly rule them out here, but I don't think they're going to get out of here this time likely with a win. So I'm back to looking at this as a teaser to me. And I agree with all your comments on the initial spread. How, you know, why would New Orleans be seven and a half or eight, which I thought was a tick high. And now the 49ers with the extra rest, who is to me the best team in the NFC now just laying the same number or actually a little less. So they're giving the Vikings a lot of respect for what they did last week. And they're, they are a talented team. Um, and when you think that San Fran was laying three in the final week at Seattle, and if you correlated that to what would that be if they were playing Seattle at home, well, they'd be laying nine, nine and a half, and Minnesota's getting seven, and yet the Vikings, you know, looking at the matchups here, I think they're just going to have a tougher time. I don't have a position as yet on the total. Um, can see 
when you see the ability of the Niners to balance and move the ball in Minnesota, potentially playing from behind and having to throw a little more than they like, uh, I don't think they're going to initially get away from their game plan of play action and running. And uh, but but I, I like the I like the Niners. I can definitely see the position. I didn't take six and a half, which I should have, but I'm going to definitely be teasing this and adding this more into the 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 teaser plays for the week. On to the next, the Ravens and the Titans, as you'd like. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is certainly, a, I think, a, a pretty strong play. This 49ers team at home against the Vikings team. Uh, agree 100 percent with Brett that, you know, coming off the upset here, maybe getting a little bit more credit than they deserve. Taking a look at the Ravens and the Titans Ravens currently sitting nine point favorites with a total of 47 in this game. If we take a look at how this thing has moved around a little bit over at DraftKings, opened at eight and a half, got all the way to nine and a half, and then we see it sitting at nine right now. It's been that way as we taped this thing on Tuesday morning for about six hours. It didn't take long for this thing to uh, move to nine. It opened and then pretty much within an hour was already at nine, and then a couple hours after that got to nine and a half. So we have seen a little bit of buyback here, so we're at, sitting at nine. Opens at 47 and a half, then dips all the way down to 46 and a half to where we sit right now at 47. We heard Jay's take a little bit on this, Brett. Uh, How do you look at this Titans team? How do you view them after that win up there in Foxborough? And do you think that that travels two weeks in a row to go face this rested Ravens team? And I do really like this Tennessee team. I'm mad at myself for falling into the trap last week. Normally a win like that on the road would shift the market and, and the public perception. But the stock is still so high on the Ravens that this opened probably where it should have. This this Baltimore offense is just so dominant with their success rate on early downs that they're so often in third and short. It's tough to get them off the field. And that's that's where the Titans thrive is in the run game, the defending the run. But we've seen this before. You know, teams aren't prepared for what the Ravens do on offense. It's unlike anything we see in the league right now. So you know, strengths on this def- on this Titans defense are are neutralized in a lot of ways. I I don't know. You know, we're still early in the week. I don't know what to do with this quite yet. If anything, I kind of like the over. I do think there's going to be. I think both teams are going to be able to score in this game, and I'm I'm happy to see that the number is is falling a little bit. Yeah, Jay, we sit here at nine. Do you have any thoughts as to whether this thing dips down? Do you think people are going to start taking this big number versus the Titans? Or as we get closer to this thing kicking off, Ravens being world beaters all season long, home team coming off a rest. Do you think this thing gets to double digits? Potentially. I don't. uh, And again, they're protecting. I, I think the other game is protecting a little bit more on the Kansas City game on the teasers. This this is, I think, lined correctly, um, knowing that they were going to probably still take some Ravens money. So potentially up to nine and a half. Um, tens could float, but uh, I think you'd get some buyback. There's, it's just it's hard. The, the Titans are going to try to stick to their game plan. And the concern is if they have if they get out of it and fall behind by 10 or 14, it continues on. They'll, they'll stick with it as long as they can. But I'm with uh, Brett. I, this totals dipped down a little bit, which is fine. I'm waiting because I, I, I still think we're going to see more scoring here. Um, plenty of reason to see the the Ravens how they've been able you know they put up 40 points and I think three of their last six games 40 plus and the Titans defense um like uh, Brett had commented it's, it's not strong against the run but that is their strength and I still think they're going to have a tough time slowing them enough and I I believe the Titans will show up even better offensively than they did last week because the Ravens defense isn't quite as strong yes they're at home weather seems to be okay um, it's not going to be uh, I'm, I'm seeing some light winds but it's they're actually seeing better than 50 mid 50s plus temperatures so uh, if winds come up I can see potentially but the over is going to be the play for me I don't have a real strong opinion yet on the side either way All right, before we move on, guys, let's just talk about this Ravens offense real, real, real quick. 33.2 points per game, tops in the NFL, 407.6 yards per game, second in the NFL, 206 rushing, easily first in the NFL, 6.1 yards per play, third in the NFL, number one ranked overall offense DVOA, number one overall offense by PFF, number one ranked pass offense by DVOA, number five graded pass offense by PFF, number one graded pass blocking unit 
by PFF on the rushing side of things. Number one, ranked rush offense DVOA. Number three, graded rush offense by PFF. Number three, graded run blocking unit by PFF. 5.5 yards per carry. Of course, that's number one in the league. 47% of third downs they converted. That was second in the league. We know Harbaugh is one of the guys that goes forward on fourth down. He actually converted 70.8% of their fourth down conversions this year, and they actually averaged 1.1 fourth down conversions per game. So they were actually averaging a conversion a game, red zone touchdown percentage at 67%. So, I mean, this offense was just an unstoppable force all season long. And listen, I understand Titans been playing a little bit better here and there, but Unless you guys can convince me one way or another that they're going to be able to slow down this Ravens team. I mean, I'm with you on the whole teaser play there, Jay. If this thing gets to eight and a half, give me the Niners down, give me the Ravens down, and I'll just play me a Saturday teaser here, and I'll feel really good about it. Yeah, and and that would be ideal. You might be forced if you still like the Ravens to tease it down to three because I don't know. Like I said, I I think we're more likely to see nine and a half than eight and a half if it were to go that way, that route. And I, I I have to double check where I saw some of the early money. I believe the 49ers Vikings games, at least at William Hill, I saw that they were taking uh, about 39% of all bets. So the most money so far was coming on. But I believe this was the next game that was getting the next most money of the four. Uh, Seattle and Green beginning the least. But the Baltimore, I would think, is still going to take some money. Texans and the Chiefs. I think the Texans are in way, way over their head. Jay, what say you here? I mean, I understand, though, that's a lot of points. Nine and a half as we sit right now at DraftKings. A total of 50 and a half over on FanDuel has already moved to double digits. Chiefs minus 10 over there. The total has hit 51. Again, a nice advantage. Uh, we've certainly seen upsets in this round, but it's a positive profile for Kansas City. Yet you go back to week six, and uh, Houston did beat the Chiefs 31-24 and had a real good offensive day, but back to form, injuries, not quite as healthy, the Chiefs, and how well they played down the stretch. They're deservingly uh, the favorite here. This might be a tick high, and I think you'll see a little more support here on the underdog than you would in that first game of the Titans and Ravens, but um, Kansas City is going to be real difficult here. I think they're going to come out of this with the win also. Haven't played the side one way or the other, and I'm just, again, with uh, Deshaun Watson, um, when you think that Buffalo at least got out in front of this team by 16 points in Houston, um, you'd have to feel like the Chiefs are going to be able to put the, the hammer down if they are to establish a lead and c- keep scoring and moving the ball much more effectively than the Bills offense. So I'm more inclined to look at a total here. I haven't bet this game, but uh, if, if Houston can get their share, I think this would be uh, enough to get over the total as well because I think Casey's going to get theirs. Yeah, I actually lean a little bit to the under uh, the other side of that one, Brett. Um, if we if I can get fifty one over at FanDuel, fifty one kind of being another one of those numbers we look at when it comes to totals here. This Chiefs defense over the last six weeks of the season really, really came together and was uh, one of the, actually the top ten defenses in all of the NFL. And then you know Texans getting JJ Watt back, you saw how it helped their run defense a lot last week and then also you can take a look and say I mean he only got one sack but they were able to get a little bit of pressure they were a lot it's he's a guy they have to account for we saw him get double teamed on the line a couple of uh, a couple of different times and so you have to account for JJ Watt being back out there I don't know at 51 seems a tad high for me if this were to get you know give me another half point here at 51 and a half I would probably be leaning towards the under in this situation so it's interesting. So you like you like the Chiefs, but you also like the under. You like that correlation? Uh, I don't like the Chiefs. I don't think at ten. I don't. Uh, oh, okay. I don't have a play on the side here. I think the Chiefs win. I just don't know how much they win by here. Um, I, I'm probably this probably won't make my card as far as a side goes, but. Um, you know, I actually see this Chiefs defense and certainly the metrics over the last six to eight weeks and how they've really started to improve and really gel. I mean, season long totals don't look all that great because they were so, so, so bad for the first half of the season. But over the second half really started to come around. And again, I do think J.J. Watt makes a difference. He's not the same player. But, you know, offensive lines are accounting for him. We double teaming him. He does get pressure on the quarterback, whether he's sacking him or not. He at least, you know, makes his force known out there. And uh, certainly on the run side of things as well, helps out from from that side of things. So I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be as much scoring in this game as, as people think. 
See, I, I, I like the Chiefs a lot. I think the spread is low. I think this could be a whitewash. To me, the Chiefs, when healthy, are the best team in the NFL. And like Jay said, it's, it's interesting that when these two teams played earlier this year, Kansas City was depleted on both sides of the ball, lost at home to the Texans. I doubt that result is, is built into this line too heavily, but there will be people who look at that and say, well, you know, the Texans did the damn thing once already this season. Why is this line so high? So you might have a, a tiny bit of market movement there. I just think this is where Mahomes shines. Like, this is the best player in the NFL. He's been overshadowed by Lamar Jackson all season. This is a chip-on-his-shoulder type of player, and I think they've added the right pieces to this defense to do enough to where he can make a mistake here and there and still cruise. I, I'm really impressed with what the Chiefs have done here in the second half of the season. Yeah, so I mean, uh, like an alternate, you know, whenever we look at kind of these alternate sides here, if you think that this could be a whitewash, I mean, not a ton of difference in 10 and 12. I mean, would you take would you take them at minus 12 at a decent little plus number? I think I would rather take them at a higher number, like maybe even like 14, 13 and a half, 14. I, th- I just I, I think coming off that battle against the bills last week, we're just going to see a lot of just like slowness out of this Texans team. And, you know, we got Kansas city off the, off the week off at home. I just, I can see them winning this game by multiple scores. So yeah, I, I I would definitely consider an alternate line. I, I love the nine and a half though. All right, let's get to the Seahawks at the Packers Packers, four point favorites, 46 on the total very interesting line here. I think that the Packers uh, have been fairly overrated all year long. But hey, I mean, you, you know, wins are wins, I suppose. But that being said, a lot could be a lot could be kind of parallels drawn to this Patriots team. A lot of people said we're overrated all year long as well. They get to the playoffs and they get beaten. Herein comes a Seahawks team that I think you could pretty much point to every position and say they kind of match up player for player maybe outside of the running back position Brett where you know Aaron Jones certainly is much better than what they have in Travis Homer right now in Seattle but uh, outside of that I mean listen the arguing the comp the the duo of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is just as good as Devontae Adams so um, yeah a pretty interesting spot here with the Seahawks catching four points man we're early in the week and I haven't done a whole lot of work on this one yet probably because these are two of the most difficult teams to cap because they've both significantly outperformed their actual performance on the final tally the all, all season long. This is a, I don't know how Green Bay won 13 games. I, I, it's astonishing to me. I, and I still feel like the Hawks have skated by with a lot of close wins and an ugly road win last week against Philly's B squad. So it, it, I, I certainly lean Green Bay here just because I think the market is giving Seattle too much credit for what they've done. But this is a this is a tough one and a really kind of ugly number as well. Jay, you got the Seattle Seattle Seahawks here and the Green Bay Packers that a lot of people say are two of the very most fraudulent teams in all of the NFL. Do you agree with that take? And how are you kind of looking at this game? I know it's a little bit early in the week here, but how are you leaning towards uh, this game? Not in the NFL, maybe the playoffs, although I think the Texans. Uh, with their even worse defensive deficiencies are maybe the the fraud. They have the potential. But, you know, two years ago when the Patriots got the Super Bowl, they had a tremendous offense, but their defensive profile was actually worse than even Seattle's and Green Bay's. Green Bay's along 5.7 yards per play, Seattle 5.9. These are below average in the league. Uh, in fact, Seattle's bottom five or six in the entire league. Yet they've got playmakers. I mean, they got Clowney there on defense. The, the Packers defensive line has been – you know, looked very good at times in, in that key game week 16 up in Minneapolis when they went in and played very well. Um, I don't have a play yet on this. I'm leaning towards the Packers. I don't believe uh, I have. I've actually probably said it a number of times. I've thought Seattle for sure is outpaced uh, their stat profiles and their expectations. Wilson's been able to perform well. Now they've got the injuries at running back. They travel last week, get another break with a poor Philadelphia team, all things considered in the playoffs. And then they get the injury to the quarterback and he goes out during the game. So I think Seattle's on borrowed time here. Um, kind of hope they win. We were talking a bit, Brett and I, uh, as things broke up there about kind of the futures position and where San Fran's at now an easier road. Green Bay caught in it break here with New Orleans getting beat. Otherwise, the Saints would have been here. But I think San Fran is a future to look ahead maybe to win the NFC. They've gone down from a plus price to maybe minus, slight minus price here now. But 
this matchup here, I think either one of these is going to be in trouble, especially Seattle if they were to get through this and potentially go to San Francisco next week if they were to win. But uh, I'm leaning towards the, the the Packers. I think their running game, like you mentioned, with Jones and their ability to balance in Rodgers, I think with the extra week of rest, they're going to be ready to go here much more than Seattle. Same. Lean towards the Packers here. Don't have a play in the account quite yet, but uh, that could certainly change as I dig into this one a little bit further as the week progresses. But uh, I, I, I am also one of the believers that the Seahawks have kind of skated by by the, the skin of their teeth here, and it could come to an end as they travel on the road to arrested Green Bay Packers team. Guys, really do appreciate uh, you guys listening here, and sorry about all the technical stuff. Don't worry. I will be getting off of this very podcast and calling my internet provider and giving them a piece of my mind. You will not have to worry about this happening to any future episodes here of the Lions. Hate that it is our first episode of 2020. Do appreciate you guys being here with us for sure. If you want to follow along, it is at PlayPixUS, at the Lions US, and of course, all the stuff we talk about here, you can find written at playpicks.com, at thelines.com as well. Be sure and check out our handy-dandy little odds feed that we've got going on. And, of course, if you're going to play in any of the legal jurisdictions, be sure and take advantage of all the sign-up offers and sign-up bonuses that are going on over there because we have the very best ones across the entire industry. For Brett, for Jay, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.